Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the feet of Jesus. Is there any better place we could go today? So let's turn there to the feet of our King and turn to that passage in Luke chapter 7. If you would turn there. And that's where Luke is taking us as we are continue our journey through this wonderful, wonderful letter, this gospel, the gospel of Luke. And it is written so that we might not just know more about Jesus, but we want to know Jesus more, right? And I hope we recognize there's all the difference in the world in that. We want to know more and more about Jesus, but we want to know Jesus more and more. We want to know him for who he is. And this passage this morning reminds us that he is our king. He is our king. Now, chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Luke, we are considering in these messages under the, the topic of kingdom authority. Kingdom authority, because that's what Luke is sharing with us as this inspired historian. He is sharing with us the authority of Jesus the Messiah, the authority of a king. And what a king he is. Amen? Did you say amen to that? I know you do. What a king he is. And what a kingdom. A kingdom like no other. And notice Who is in this kingdom? (laughs) What kind of wonderful people? What kind of best people on earth are part of this kingdom? Not quite, right? Lord Jesus is not king of the dream team. He's king of the bad news bears. And notice who's in his his kingdom. Look in chapter 6, if you would. He is the king of the humble. He's the king of the humble. These humble men, he chose to be apostles. And he said that is those who are humble and meek that are part of his kingdom. And he shared his kingdom constitution in chapter 6 with people who are humble. Is the humble who are in his kingdom, not the proud. Jesus is the king of the humble. And then in chapter 7, you'll notice he's the king of the hopeless. He's the king of the hopeless. In chapter 7, we've seen three hopeless people. Have you noticed that? In verses 1 through 10, we have a hopeless centurion whose daughter is dying. And he's not even a part of the Jewish people. He's hopeless But he has hope in Jesus Christ. Verses 11 through 17, we have a hopeless widow. Her son is dead. Her husband's dead. Now her son is dead. She's hopeless. But not when Jesus interrupts that funeral procession. Because he's the king of hope. Verses 18, 35... We see a hopeless preacher. The greatest who ever walked the face of the earth, apart from the Lord Jesus, he said, was John the Baptist. But John the Baptist lost hope. He began to question whether Jesus was the Messiah. Maybe he was 
mistaken in his ministry. Maybe he had been misled in his ministry. He begins to lose hope that Jesus is the king. I'm grateful, aren't you, that Jesus is the king of the hopeless. If you're here this morning, you feel hopeless in any situation. I'm going to tell you, there is a king for your hopelessness. Jesus Christ. The hopeless centurion, a hopeless widow, a hopeless preacher. And now I want you to see maybe the greatest expression of hopelessness. This hopeless, sinful woman that Luke reveals to us something so beautiful about our king. Because we're going to find that Jesus is the king of people who are hopeless And when they find their hope fulfilled in him, guess what Jesus becomes? He becomes the king of hearts. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus is the king and he is the king of hearts. Now we have an amazing story shared with us. I've read it to you earlier. And it's like Luke just paints a picture. Isn't this amazing The way Luke just paints this picture in words. And just a few minutes, we're going to look at some of the fine details that he fills in about this picture. But I want you to notice, first of all, the broad strokes of the context that Luke paints about this situation. We're told that this story we've just read, this account in the life of Jesus, takes place in the home of Simon. Now, Simon is a Pharisee. He's a respected man, very clearly. He's quite a wealthy man. And he has invited Jesus to come and be his honored guest at a meal. As we read the story, we can see that evidently, The banquet is being held out in the courtyard, which was very common in that environment. Wealthy people would build a courtyard, which would be open to the sky. It would be a family gathering place, but also a place where outdoor meals would be enjoyed. There'd be music. There'd be the beautiful fragrance of fruit trees. All this to the open sky. And so Jesus has been invited to this wealthy man's house. They're there in the courtyard. And also, people know about this. Word gets out. Now, you can imagine in the close-knit community of those Jewish towns that when the leader of the community, the most respected person... Simon, the Pharisee, has as his guest the celebrated young rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus. Everyone wants an invitation. And everybody didn't get an invitation. But in that culture, even though you might not get a seat at the table, so to speak, you could come and watch the show. And so this meal, which is in the courtyard, is really like a community event, so to speak. You could almost call it a block party. (laughs) And people are coming who are invited guests. And the invited guests are ushered over to an 
each one of them having a lovely couch. And they will recline on that couch. They will prop themselves up on their left arm. Their feet will be behind them. There will be a lovely table in the midst of the courtyard. They'll be able to converse with each other. They'll reach and take things from the table, enjoy the food, have conversation, but they're all reclining at this beautiful feast. And people who are honored guests are lying on the couch, couches. But <laughs> the people who've come, uninvited but expected, they're coming and going some of them are standing around the corners. They're all wanting to listen if they can hear what these two religious leaders are saying to each other. This is something special. Not only is it an incredible banquet, but it's an also an opportunity to hear a conversation between two very, very well-known religious leaders. Simon and this young rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus. And so the atmosphere around the table, anyway, is very polite. It, it's very formal. It is a very class event. But suddenly, that is completely transformed completely transformed because the ultimate party crasher shows up. The ultimate party crasher. A person definitely uninvited comes and her presence alone is startling. That's, look at verse 37. That's the reason... Luke uses this word, and behold. It's like, look at this. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. There's the great contrast. Behold, unexpected. Who would have thought? A woman of the city who was a sinner comes to the party. A woman of the city. What does that mean? It means she is a woman of the streets, we might say today. She is a sinner. Evidently here, the word sinner is somewhat of a euphemism for the fact that she is notoriously known as a prostitute. Her presence is startling. <laughs> But what she does is horrifying. Not just startling. It's horrifying. She has come to anoint Jesus. She has come to anoint him. Now what is she doing there? This is the last person you would expect. What is she doing there? Well, the Lord has completely changed her life. 
We don't know when. We're not told when. And we're not told how. But somehow, somewhere, this woman has heard the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps she has seen His miracles. Maybe she knows that He has cured lepers and she thinks if there is a leper, I am certainly one. And as she listens to Him, as she follows, a miracle takes place in her heart. She is absolutely transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus. We would say today, she's been born again. She's been saved. He's completely changed her life. And so she comes. She doesn't wait for an invitation. She's not going to get one. And she comes and stands behind Jesus. This is her plan. She's come with a flask of ointment. Very expensive. And you must understand this. This flask is alabaster. It's, it's expensive itself. But it contains an ointment of perfume that is incredibly expensive. This would be the way people in that day would actually save. It's like the bank account. It's, it's your treasure, but you would just put it in the form of perfume. So she brings her treasure. And her plan is to anoint Jesus with this perfume. So she stands behind him. But then, as she stands behind him, she loses control of her emotions. She's so, so overcome with gratitude and love for what Jesus has done. She begins to sob. Tears stream down her face. I mean, they stream down her face to the point where the Bible says she wet his feet with her tears. Now, you need to understand that word wet there is very interesting. It means rain. The tears are raining down off of her cheeks. They, they are dropping on Jesus' feet as she stands behind him. And she wasn't prepared for this. She, she wanted to anoint his feet with oil, but she wasn't prepared for this. And now her tears are covering his feet. And she's brought no towel with her. How's she, how she going to dry these tears? Her tears all over his feet. And then the thought comes to her. And she takes out the comb that's holding her hair in place. She lets her hair down. And she begins, even as she's continuing to cry, to dry his feet from her tears and this perfume with her hair. Now, friends, this brought utter dismay to everybody in the party. This is never done. You need to understand something. 
After her wedding day, no woman ever let down her hair in public. As a matter of fact, the Talmud, which was a commentary on the law, the Talmud said that if a woman let down her hair in public, it was grounds for divorce by her husband. This was not done. This was something that was only to be done in the privacy of the home in particular for the husband. And not only she let her hair down in public, then she uses her hair, which represents her glory, and she uses that hair as a towel. And as she's drying his feet, she is so overcome with love and gratitude for what Christ has done for her that she begins kissing his feet. And it's a very emphatic word here. It means continually kissing his feet. It's, a, it's the same word that was used of the father, the prodigal son, when he fell on his son's neck and kissing him on the neck, kissing him on the neck. It's the same word which was used of the elders of Ephesus when they knew they would never see Paul again. They fell on his neck and they were kissing him, kissing him. It's the same word. Now, no one is more offended than Simon. You can imagine, this is not on the program. This is not on the party program. But more than he is appalled with what this woman is doing, he is filled with contempt for Jesus. Now, Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. Because Jesus knows what everyone's thinking. Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. And Jesus knows what the woman is thinking. See, Jesus not only knows what is apparent. He knows what is not apparent. He knows what this woman is thinking. He knows what Simon is thinking. And so he addresses this scene. He, you could say he interprets what's going on. Because everyone is thinking, what in the world is going on? And Jesus addresses it and he interprets it by sharing a very simple parable. And by sharing a timeless principle. Now as Luke paints this amazing picture... I want us to move from these broad strokes. These are the broad strokes. This is what, this is the, what is happening. But now let's move to the fine details that Luke fills in as he shares what we really see here as a masterpiece of the master. Because my friend, don't forget who the hero here. The hero is Jesus Christ. This is a masterpiece of the master. And I want us to carefully notice this whole story told by Luke is built around three evaluations and three revelations from three people. There's three people involved. 
Three evaluations, but they reveal three things. Now notice the first evaluation. The first evaluation is evaluation by this woman. The evaluation by the woman. Now we don't know the depth of her theology. I'm sure she hadn't had chance to take many Bible study classes. We don't know the depth of her theology, but we do know the depth of her experience. She knows that she has been changed. She might not even be able to define salvation. She might not even understand a thing about justification or regeneration. But one thing she knows in her heart, she was lost, but now she's found. And she was blind, but now she sees. She's transformed. And she's got to show this transformation. And my friend, I want to tell you something. That's the greatest theology there is. It's not the talking kind, it's the living kind. This woman knows the Lord. She has experienced His life. And she has a new life. And she is very clear on her evaluation of who Jesus is. That's the reason she's come to anoint him. She's made her evaluation of who Jesus is. And here is who Jesus is to her. He's someone that needs to be anointed. And who's anointed in the Bible? The prophets are anointed. He is her prophet because he has told her the words of life. The priests were anointed and he is her priest because he has brought her to God. And the kings were anointed and he's her king because he's conquered her rebel heart. Jesus is her prophet, her priest, her king, and she's going to anoint him. She's so broken. She can't contain her sobs. She can't hold back the tears. She's so broken, but she's so broken and so blessed at the same time. Have you ever been there? So broken, but so blessed and so free. She's free. Really free. She's no longer a woman of the night. She's a daughter of the day. And she's going to anoint her master. Now how different is the evaluation of Jesus by Simon? It's very clear if you read this story carefully, Simon has already prejudged Jesus. Do you know that? We don't know why he invited Jesus, but I guarantee you one thing, it wasn't because he respected Jesus. Because the whole picture here is a picture of disrespect of Jesus. He just maybe wants to show himself in discussion with Jesus or he wants the crowds in his home, but he does not have regard for Jesus because he demonstrates in every way his discourtesy. As a matter of fact, what Simon does here, his evaluation of Jesus is such that he carries out, listen carefully, calculated contempt. How do we know that he's carrying out calculated contempt? Because hospitality was sacred in that day. 
And he shows his disdain for Jesus in a very subtle but very clear way. You see, there were three honors that you gave to every invited guest to your home. Three honors. The first honor, you greeted your guest, you put your right hand on his shoulder, and you gave him the kiss of peace on his cheek. Simon doesn't do that. The second thing you always did, you made sure that you or one of your servants brought cool water and poured the cool water on the feet of your guests who had walked in his sandals to your home. Simon didn't do that. And you always, to show honor to your guest, would take a little bit of perfume or maybe just some rose-infused water and put a few drops on the head as a symbol of honor. But Simon doesn't do that. It's calculated. He is expressing disdain for Jesus. But when Jesus didn't do what Simon expected him to do, even in this situation, his disdain and disbelief turned into contempt. When Jesus allows this woman to touch his feet, anoint his feet, Simon is filled with contempt. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Spoken like a true Pharisee, right? Kent Hughes, who is a pastor and author, said this about Simon. He says, Simon had an arctic heart and permafrost of the soul. <laughs> an arctic heart, cold, frozen, permafrost on his soul. Untouched, but offended by someone's worship. And that brings a third evaluation because, see, now it's Jesus' turn to make the evaluation. The woman has made her evaluation of him. Simon's made his evaluation of him. Now Jesus is going to make his evaluation of the woman and of Simon. Jesus knows what Simon thinks. And now Simon needs to know what Jesus thinks. And Jesus is going to tell him. But the way he tells him is by sharing a story. He shares a short parable. It's found in verses 40 through 43. Let's look at it again. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. 
one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now let's stop here for a moment. How much is a denarii? A denarii is what a common worker could expect to earn in one day. So one owes him 500 days wages. Let's put that at somewhere around $40,000, let's call it. And the other, 50 days wages. Maybe, let's call it $4,000. But they're both equal, $40,000, $4,000. Neither one of them has it. They're both broke. They can't pay. So guess what? If you're broke, you're broke. Some of you said, I received that. <laughs> broke. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt. And the word canceled here is a very interesting word. He graciously canceled the debt. He didn't postpone it. He didn't have to. Out of his love and mercy, this man graciously cancels the debt. And now Jesus makes the application. Which of them will love him more? Oh, got to give it to Simon. He can count. He's a big time counter. He said, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And this is beautiful. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, what had Simon just done in his heart? He had judged wrongly. He had judged this woman wrongly and he had judged Jesus wrongly. But now you've judged rightly. You've judged rightly. You see, here's Simon's problem. He has the right answer and the wrong attitude. And legalistic Pharisees always do. They can always give you the right answer. But their attitude's all wrong. But they're proud about their right answer. And they have no concern about a right attitude. Now notice what Jesus connected. Why did he tell this story? Why? Why did Jesus tell this story? Here's why. What did he connect? These three things. Debt. Forgiveness. And love. A debt that could not be paid. Forgiveness undeserved. And now love. Because of the grace that's been shown. Debt. Forgiveness. Love. Now Jesus is ready to make the application to Simon's heart. He made the application to his mind, but that's not Simon's problem. His problem is his old hard heart. And he makes the application to his heart. And notice what Jesus says, verse 44. Then turning to the woman, this is the first time Jesus evidently has acknowledged her. Turning to the woman, he speaks to Simon. And he asked Simon a question. Simon, 
Do you see this woman? And here's what that means. Do you really see her? I know you see her. I know you see her. But do you really see her? Do you see her heart? Simon doesn't see her. And so Jesus had to show him this woman's heart. And he had to show Simon his own heart. And here's how he did it. Verse 44. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And now Jesus summarizes the whole thing. Verse 47, therefore, I tell you, I tell you, this is the reality, Simon. You are so blind. Your heart is so prejudiced. You are so self-righteous. You don't see this, but I tell you this, Simon. Her sins, which are many. Jesus does not try to minimize her sin. This woman has lived a sinful life. And Jesus says, I know her sins. And they are many. And they are what? Forgiven. (laughs) They're all forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now let's be careful here. What Jesus is saying is not... That this woman was forgiven because of her love. That's not the basis of the forgiveness. The word for here is the idea of seeing that. Seeing that. So here's what the idea is. This woman's sins who are many are forgiven. Seeing that she loves much because she has been forgiven much. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And the lesson is this, very clear to Simon and to all the ages, to all of us even to this day. Here's a lesson. People who greatly love Jesus are people greatly indebted to Jesus. Some people love Jesus more than others do. And the people who love him more are the people who recognize how much they've been forgiven. And they are in debt to him. They are free, but they're only free because Jesus has canceled their debt. 
And they've never lost the wonder of it. But they still recognize that they are in themselves debtors. And, but they are debtors who are worshiping the one who's forgiven their debt. People who greatly love Jesus are greatly indebted to Jesus. People like the Apostle Paul who said in Timothy, this is a faithful saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. St. Francis of Assisi in the Middle Ages, who was known by everybody for his godliness. Here's what he wrote about himself. There is nowhere a more wretched, wretched, miserable sinner than I am. And the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the great song, the most recorded song in the history of the world, Amazing Grace, written by... Baptist preacher, John Newton, who had been an infidel, a slave trader, who had lived an unspeakably wicked life, but Christ had saved his soul, and he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. But you know what he said on his deathbed? You know what that great man said on his deathbed? Here's what he said. He said, I know two things. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great Savior. <laughs> That's what I know. That's truth to live by, friend. You can live by that. I'm a great sinner. But Jesus is a great Savior. You can live by that. And my friend, you can die by that. I have been a great sinner, but my Jesus is a great Savior. Three things are revealed here. In the woman, we see a heart of a worshiper. Why is this woman there? She's worshiping. What is worship? Here's what worship is. All we are responding to all he is. That's what worship is. And that's what this woman is doing. She's at his feet, totally, totally engaged in adoring her Savior. All she is responding to all he is. That's worship. My friend, you don't have to be in church for that to happen. But any time, any place, your mind, your heart engages together on your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, that's worship. When all you are is responding to all He is. He's the King of her heart. Jesus is her purest passion. This is an erotic, this is pure and holy passion, passionate worship. Because of a love that's unspeakable. Jesus is her greatest treasure. What, what does an alabaster flask full of oil mean to her compared to Jesus? What is her life savings compared to Jesus Christ? Gladly she will pour them out on his feet. Jesus is her beloved master. She's at his feet. She wipes her, his feet with her hair. Submission. 
How tragic is the revelation of Simon's heart? You know what Simon is? Listen carefully. Here's what he is. He's an unbeliever. The heart of an unbeliever. He's religious and he's respected. But he is an unbeliever. Why? Why is he an unbeliever? Because his whole life. Listen carefully. Beware of this. His whole life is un. He is unaware of his debt. He's a sinner. Just like this woman. But he's unaware of it. He is therefore unneeding of forgiveness. Because he's unaware of his debt. He's unneeding of his of forgiveness. I'm doing quite well. Thank you. No, I don't think I need to add Jesus to my life. I'm getting along great. And he is unmoved by love because he's unaware of his debt. He is unneeding of forgiveness. Therefore, he doesn't love. He doesn't love because he's never felt the weight of his sin. He's never felt the joy of his sins forgiven. That's the reason he doesn't love. Love is the very first fruit of a Christian life. A true Christian is known by his or her love. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in your heart through Jesus Christ. And you've come to know that you're a debtor of your sins. But you've known through Christ your forgiveness of that debt. And now how can you not love the one who's forgiven you? Amen. And there's the heart of the Redeemer. You see the heart of the Redeemer. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine what this woman was wondering? What's he going to say to me? He knows what she's, she knows what she's doing is weird. It is weird. But she doesn't care. But she cares what Jesus thinks. And what does Jesus say to her? Words of comfort. Listen to what Jesus says to her. Words of forgiveness. Your sins have been forgiven. That is perfect tense. It's already happened. The reason you're at my feet, the reason you're weeping over me, the reason you're anointing me is your sins have been forgiven. There's no works here. The miracle has already taken place. My friend, you don't live a different life in order to become a Christian. You live a different life because you have become a Christian. And Christ is in your heart. He speaks words of forgiveness and words of deliverance. Your faith has saved you. You see that? Not your love. She loves because she has been saved. What is the basis of her salvation? Something that she could bring is the basis of her salvation. What she's doing for Jesus, what she's giving to Jesus. No, the only basis of her salvation is she is hoping in Christ. 
She is trusting in Christ. She knows she doesn't deserve anything but his judgment. She's wasted her whole life, but her whole hope is in Jesus. Forsaking all, I trust him. Faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. And on that basis, she is saved. Forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Oh, my friend, listen to me. You can't bring a thing to Jesus. You can't earn his love. He loves you already. He died for you. You don't add to that. What could you add to the blood of the Son of God? You lay hold of Jesus. You take hold of him. You forsake every other hope and you hold on to Christ. And that is faith. And Jesus will say to you, he say it to you right now. Your faith has saved you and now what you can do is this the rest of your life go in peace therefore being justified by faith we have what Paul says peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ our time is gone On the screen, you'll just see these three applications. I have no time to open them up. Number one, here's the application. The greater the measure of our debt is the greater the measure of our devotion. The greater the measure of your debt will be the greater measure of your devotion. Sinfulness does not disqualify us from forgiveness. Your sin does not keep you from being saved because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So what disqualifies us from being saved if it's not our sin? Here's what disqualifies you from being saved. Your self-righteousness disqualifies you from forgiveness. You see, Jesus can't be your Savior and you, you be your Savior. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only thing that will send your soul to hell with your sins unforgiven is if you try to deal with them yourself. But you trust in Christ. And greater than your sin is the perfect righteousness and the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. He is a living Savior that will save you all your life and He will never die and He will save you forever. Amen. If you trust Him. And number three, life begins and life is sustained at the feet of Jesus. You know what? Some people have no peace though they read the Bible all the time. You know why? They read the Bible, but they never go to the feet of Jesus. Some people go to Bible study all the time, but they never go to the feet of Jesus. That's not where life is found. Life's not found in this church. Life's not found in a Bible study. Life's not found even in you having your devotions. Life is found in the Prince of Life, Jesus Christ. You go to his feet. And you ask him to show you his love and mercy. And yes, you'll know your sin, but he'll show you his smiling face. That greater than your sin is his love. And he will forgive you every day of your life.
I want to ask you this morning. Jesus said, go in peace. Now here's my question. Will you? You're going to leave this building in just a couple of minutes. Will you go in peace? You can if first you come to the feet of Jesus. Then you can go in peace.